Hello. Well, hello, Peter Canego. Welcome <laughs> to Gigi in the 561 today. It's so great to be here. Thanks so much, Pam. I'm very excited to be able to talk to you today. I'm honored. I am truly honored. Everyone, uh, welcome to this great podcast, Coast to Coast. We're going coast to coast today with with Peter. Um, I, I, I want to tell everyone... <laughs> Uh, sit back, everyone, pull up a chair, get something to drink, get a libation, because it's going to take me just a minute to tell you about this incredible man on the other end of the podcast today. Peter Canera, Peter Canego is well-known, to say the very least, in the world of travel. He is a world traveler. He is uh, actually an icon. He is a maritime cruise ship historian. He's a music promoter, video producer. He is the son of the beautiful Rosalie Calvert and actor Peter Coe. He has a shop that you can go to and look at things, and we'll talk a little bit more about midship century a little bit later. He's a freelance cruise and maritime writer. He has a YouTube channel, Midship Cinema. He's out there. He's everywhere. And we have much to talk about. However... Today, and, and, and I do want to say to you, Peter, um, Gary did a, a piece on you. Everyone in the world has written about you, but Gary did a, a piece on you as well, my mate. And when I read it, I, I said, I really do like this man because the, the ship that you said, of all the ships in the world, that you would want to be on if there were one, do you remember your answer to that question that he posed to you about that ship? Well, it's I, I think while. that can change uh, depending on what day you talk to me, but I hope I said well, the it, New Amsterdam of 1938. Well, this, this had to be, this was, this was a few years ago, it was the Normandy. Oh, the, okay. The, yep. Yeah, the, the sad Normandy that was so, it's my favorite, so yeah. it, it's, and it ended so sadly. But, but even though this is, you are, you are known throughout the world. You are so well known about your travel. No, you are. You are. Don't be modest because you are. <laughs> I'm just, I'm, it's just the truth. Um, but that's really not what we're going to talk about so much today. We will. And you did promise to come back because there's not going to be enough time. On this if one you can handle it, I'll be back. Yeah. <laughs> I, can, I can handle it. But what I want to talk about uh, with you today, Peter, is uh, some other things. One of the things that I want to talk about um, is your mother. Your mom was an actress. She was a model and when you see photos of Rosalie Calvert she to me she's been compared to many great beauties uh Grace Kelly for one mm -hmm. uh mm -hmm. but but to me she also had the uh, the just the uh, just the beauty of of a Jean Shrimpton of the 60s she mm -hmm. just has uh in her photos she is incredible so i want to talk about her and i have a, a lot of things to say about rosalie and in, including um you may not know this but you may do you know there's a fictional character in a tv show called grim that's named rosalie calvert yes and because when i was googling my mom she kept popping up yeah not only that 
there's the character in Titanic, the, the fictional character in the Titanic movie is named Rose Calvert. So James Cameron wow. must have been tapping into something there because, <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, there were none except for my mom. And now they're, you know, there, there's a lot. <laughs> it, it was really amazing. Wait a second. That's not her. Uh, so much to say about your beautiful mom. Uh, oh, is, is your mom still living, if you don't mind saying, in yes, Palm Springs? Yes. No, she's living, actually, she lives with us here in Oceanside. Um, oh, okay. She's, yeah, she's actually downstairs. I She's watching TV and having her lunch, so. Uh. Well, I I, uh, I knew that, that uh, I thought maybe she was still living in Palm Street. That's a little bit personal anyway, but, um, okay, now, here's Peter, what I want to kick it off with, because I am smitten with something mm-hmm. that you introduced me to. Mm-hmm. And it's uh it was uh it is a group and mm-hmm. I'm embarrassed to say that I didn't know this group and now I am completely enthralled with a, a group that you were promoter for for twenty years, I think, Sparks. Yep, yep. Genius. The most brilliant people I have ever encountered and the most underrated band in the history of rock and roll completely influential, worked with everyone and anyone across the spectrum of rock music from Todd Rundgren to Giorgio Moroder, who was one of the electronic music pioneers. Uh, He collaborated with Sparks in 1979 with an album called Number One in Heaven. It came out in America. I think it sold about 50 copies at the time, but it was brilliant. And in England, it was a big hit. And it influenced all the bands that were electronic in the 80s, from Human League, Depeche Mode, Erasure, Pet Shop Boys, even though they don't admit it. Um, it it's, they're just so talented, and yet they never had their moment, uh, in America anyway, of popularity that they deserved. And it was really frustrating to me. Um, so in the early 80s, I was in college and I was uh, working in movie theaters. Uh, I, I went to UCLA and Westwood Village is right there next to UCLA and they have a bunch of movie theaters. And I worked at a theater called the Bruin Theater, which I think it's the one on Access Hollywood where they have that round theater marquee. It's the most famous oh, okay. marquee in movie yeah. theaters and it's been yeah. copied everywhere. The big circular Art Deco marquee um yeah anyway in westwood i would see ron and russell from sparks walking around um just you know they were they loved they lived nearby and i was a huge fan and one day i you know i encountered them on the street and i told them to come see come see a movie anytime and actually they they did uh, a few days later and i was absolutely speechless and bumbling and fumbling and i couldn't even get a sentence out but i was just so thrilled to meet them and anyway we gradually became i wouldn't say friends but acquaintances and i had a friend who was in the music business doing record promotion and he was promoting everybody from donna summer to wham and you know everything in between and he hired me to work for him and i introduced sparks to him and that way, it was sort of a summer job for me, but I got a taste of what the music business was like. And then around 1986, Sparks came up with a record called Music That You Can Dance To, which was mm-hmm. a great dance song, and it's featured in the 
Edgar Wright movie. Um, and I started a company so I could promote that record and it went top 10 and it was great for Sparks and great for me and we became good friends and I was sort of their de facto record promoter and I went on to promote all those other bands like Depeche Mode and Pet Shop Boys and Susie and the Banshees and this whole crop of British, you know, new wave bands that were all influenced by Sparks. So I was always trying to introduce them to these other bands, hoping that maybe one day they would collaborate. And a couple times that worked and a couple times it didn't. But I, I was always trying to impress upon the DJs that I was promoting to that, hey, I know you love Depeche Mode, you know, in New Order, but this is the band that started it all and you should really be digging them. And, you know, it was really hard to kind of get through to people because Sparks have this quirky and brilliant image. Uh, they're very much based on, you know, old Hollywood. Ronnie, um, the keyboardist, uh, looks sort of like a cross between Charlie Chaplin and Ronald Coleman. And Russell looks sort of like Jim Morrison, you know, from The Doors or um, mm -hmm. uh, Roger Daltrey from The Who with his curly hair and his stage antics. And they were just the most unbelievably appealing band to me, image-wise, Lyrically, uh, Ron's lyrics are on, to me, on par with Moliere. They are so yeah. funny and so layered. And yet when you delve deeply into them, they're sad and full of pathos as well. But you don't get that because yeah. on the exterior surface, you know, Russell's singing about, I wish I looked a little better, you know, and, and, and silly things that seem silly, but they're really deep and, and very, very incredibly moving at the same time. So yeah. to me, it was the greatest honor in the world to be able to work with these guys. And I, and I stuck with it until around 2006. I, I finally left the music business uh, because downloading was destroying, um, you know, yeah. record sales. The record companies were collapsing. My friends were all out of work. And I was literally begging, you know, to work an Ashley Simpson record. And at that point in time, I mm -hmm. said, you know what? I, it, this is <laughs> this is not what I got in the business for, uh, so yeah. I quietly bowed out and then focused on the on the ship riding and, and travel and, and and that part of my life that I that I'd never done as a vocation, but just main, mainly as an avocation. So, so I've I've been very fortunate to have been able to work with them. And when the documentary was first you know proposed about three or four years ago um i did get to meet edgar wright the director at one of the sparks concerts and he's you know he was like yeah you want to be in the documentary and i'm like are you kidding <laughs> you know, that's my that'd be my ultimate dream um so i i got to go up and i'm one of the 95 or so people that are actually in the documentary but you know that includes people like duran duran and um Flea from the Red Hot Chili Peppers and Todd Rundgren and Giorgio and all of these brilliant people. So I'm I'm interspersed in this documentary talking about Sparks because I worked with them at a time um, during their career when not many other people were working with them. So I got to fill in some blanks in the in the long story of Sparks, which is fascinating. And even if you don't love the band, I hope you do. I hope anybody that watches it loves the band after they see it but you can't deny that the story is fascinating a 50-year mm -hmm. career in the music business yeah. they just finished recording their 27th album 
And here are these guys in their mid-70s. They are so vital. And I've been going to a lot of my favorite band concerts. I just saw Kraftwerk a few days ago. And they were pioneers like Sparks. And they were excellent. Sure. Yeah. And I saw Blondie last month. And, as you know, Blondie, I adore Blondie. They are up there in my pantheon of favorite bands. But even yeah. Blondie, just they, they cannot match the energy and the stage presence that Sparks has to this very day, their concerts are just mind boggling. You know, Russell's jumping five feet up in the air and Ronnie's doing his, you know, crazy dance that he does. And they just have so much energy and they have so much commitment and discipline in their work. They really are an inspiration. So you can tell I kind of like them. <laughs> well, it was the the the, uh, the documentary was done in 2021 on Netflix by yeah. Edgar Wright, who who is a, a known uh, director. Shaun of the Dead, uh, Baby Drive, which is a, a heist movie, uh, yeah. very very known. But it's it's uh, it's a long documentary uh, in a way, and yet yeah. it isn't because at the end of it. And may I add. You have to watch it all the way to the end because <laughs> the very end is pretty cool. I, I I thought it was just it was just brilliant. But one of the quotes that you had in the documentary mm-hmm. was that they were a weird that they are a weird mm-hmm. novelty. But but the the thing that, that is so compelling. Well, a lot is compelling. I mean, they became like what the best. British band from America because the German people and the British people really understood more about what they were doing, but their music does have a point of view. I mean, it, it, uh, you're right. It, it's uh, like the, the, this, the uh, one that you can dance to, uh, they were what? Yeah. Yeah, That, which is really cool, but they were sort of told, Write something you that people can dance to, and 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 then they wrote one which is again what you just said. You know, when you really pay it, when you really pay attention, you have to pay attention to these these two guys. Uh, it's uh, borderline attractive from afar is one of the, <laughs> one of the ones. You know, yeah. and 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 then you have these these. Uh, when they're performing, they're in, by the way, let me just stick in there, that I am really jealous of some of their stage costumes, some of those pink jackets and stuff, Peter, you know, I could, <laughs> yeah. I could dig it, I could dig it. Yeah. But uh, when when uh, Ron does the striptease, I mean, mm-hmm. it, it's just so, it, it, it's brilliant art, basically. It's what yeah. they are. I mean, they are yeah. just it's just art in every way. They are yes, it's it's pop, uh, has a pop sound, but uh, they're um, you you can't. You're, I I will say I was so drawn in to the to the documentary to their story. It's like the the prolific writer in in the, the way that they did a. I mean, I kind of couldn't believe it. Where they did the uh, you can elaborate on this more the. Sure. They did 21, uh, yeah. they did a, a concert for every album. Yeah. With every Their manager had suggested, to, yeah, that, oh, hey, why don't you guys do, you know, each of your albums in concert to promote your new album? 
you know, so they had at that time 21 albums, <laughs> you know, it was yeah. earlier in their career. And so they performed and it ended up being something like 300 songs. And many of them they hadn't performed since that particular album came out. Their first album came out in 1971. So you can imagine what it was like in the studio rehearsing. And of course, their band, they have a, a, a new band, which is incredible. These these guys, you know, they're in their 20s and 30s, and they're just, they're rock and roll stars, each one of these guys in their band. And yet, you know, here are these guys playing music, you know, that they weren't even born when it was right. originally released. And yeah. so they had to rehearse all of these albums, and they, they did the show. And it drives me crazy. I was actually on assignment. I was on, you know, at that point, I was doing a lot of travel writing, and I was on assignment. I couldn't go to England and see any of these shows, and it broke my oh, heart. Oh, Peter. You know, I just, oh, no. Yeah. I know. I was, I was so, you know, it, I mean, it's talk about a good problem to have. I think I was, you know, yeah. doing Antarctica or something like that. And, but oh, I couldn't yeah. go, and it was so frustrating because some of these songs, I'll, I'll probably never hear them play live. I mean, even if they played one song from every one of their albums, it would be over a two-hour concert. So It's crazy. You know. And and yeah. back in the day, they were, uh, they were more well-known in California because of a radio station, and correct yeah. me here, uh, K-Rock. K-Rock, K-Rock, uh, K-Rock played was them. rock of the 80s. In L.A., K-Rock was huge, and it was so big in the early 80s that they had versions of K-Rock throughout the country. It only lasted a couple of years because the music changed. But if you liked new wave music and the latest British band, you know, Haircut 100, Duran Duran, uh, all of those bands, they broke on K-Rock in L.A. first. And K-Rock loved Sparks. So Sparks was getting airplay, you know, uh, I predict, which was, to me, it's, it blows like Queens, we will rock you away. Mm-hmm. It's the same producer, Mac, uh, from Germany, who worked with Electric Light Orchestra in the, in the same studio. He was Sparks' producer. And Sparks and Queen were always compared to each other over the years. Sparks were compared to Queen, and it really should have been the other way around. They, yeah. they came out before Queen. Queen actually opened for Sparks in one of their early gigs in England. Um, And Russell's voice, very similar in a way to Freddie Mercury's, or Freddie Mercury's similar to Russell. Um, And their image was kind of like, you know, they had the long hair and that sort of glam rock look early on. And, you know, Sparks were huge in England for a couple of years in the mid-70s, just when Queen was, was starting to become big. And then Queen kind of took over that sound, and sadly, it it you know they ruled, and Sparks sort of faded out in the UK, and then came back to America and reinvented themselves several times, and then they went back to England with the electronic sound that they did with Giorgio Moroder, and that yeah. created a whole new trend that everybody else cashed in on, except for Sparks, you know. So yeah, they've been a cause celeb in my life um, because I just think they're so brilliant and i tell them and i I say to anyone in in 200 years people will be talking about this era and they will talk about the beatles they will talk about sparks and they will talk about a handful of other people because the music will last forever and they are the kind of artists although thankfully they're they're getting the recognition they deserve now 
Um, they're the kind of artist whose music will live long past them and any sort of trends because the brilliance is there. I mean, even Paul McCartney, yeah, he, yeah. He, he, he impersonated Ronnie in his coming up video where he does Buddy Holly and he does Ronnie on the keyboards. And it's really cool because he actually sent them an autographed picture of him dressed up as Ronnie, you know, and he wrote, you know, to Ron and Russell, you know, how much he enjoys their work. And, you know, so, so they have this peer uh, admiration, you know, from people like Paul McCartney, uh, which is incredible. You know, Ringo Starr introduced them on one of their early Don Kirshner rock concert shows. And um, so they've got the creds. They just never have had the popularity that they deserved. But thankfully that's changed. Yeah, and many, many famous people uh, through the years have been their their big fan. They have yep. really cool songs. This Town Ain't Big Enough is one of them. Yep. Uh, but one thing that just really jumped out at me, talk about, mm, okay, in 1966, they did a song called Computer Girl. Now, <laughs> let that sink in. People, I mean, that may not mean anything to to people, but if you roll that on back, computer girl, all right? I mean, that's uh, talk about being just smart and brilliant. You know, yeah, way ahead of their time. They've always been way ahead of their time. Commercially, that hasn't always worked out for them, but creatively, it certainly has. I didn't even know that song. That was one of their demos um, when they were a band called Half Nelson. Uh, That that was their original name. And Todd Rundgren released their first album under the name Half Nelson, and it didn't do well. So he he, um, and one of the other executives at Bearsville thought Ronnie reminded them of of Groucho Marx. And so he said, well, why don't we call you guys the Sparks Brothers? And they hated that. (laughs) They absolutely (laughs) despised that. So they argued and argued, and finally they trimmed off the Sparks, the the and brothers, and settled for Sparks, and that became their name. Um, and that, and then they re-released that album uh, again. And again, it didn't sell very well, but it's still terribly influential and, and really brilliant. And yeah, part of this thing with doing the documentary, they reunited with Todd Rundgren. They just did a new song with him, and oh, he good. just, oh, you know raves about them and you know it's just it makes me as a longtime fan and friend of theirs i'm just so proud of them i i I, yeah. I really adore them and i try to get people to watch the documentary i forget that i'm in it i mean i'm i'm a i'm not a major part of it i'm i come in you know about an hour into it and i'm in it for about seven or eight times very quickly uh because there's some other people that have <laughs> more interesting things to say when you're when you've got mike myers and you know, people like that. Um, I'm just thrilled that I managed to get in there. But I just want people to see it so that they understand how cool this band is and yeah, how great their story is. They never gave up after all those years when things were so bleak at times and they weren't selling records and, you know, they, they weren't getting any respect and critics were even tearing them apart. And now everybody loves them. And it's just it's just nice to see. But it also talks about perseverance and if you have a yeah. dream and you really believe in what you do, stick with it and don't give yeah. up and don't change just to please other people because you'll get your time. I think that's what 
what really came through to me about them. They really didn't yield to what they could have uh, been pressured into doing. They really didn't. They stayed true to their yeah. to, to their mission. Uh, also, a, a couple of other things. I loved their backstory, their childhood, how they were. It, it, it's kind of hard to believe when you you see them on stage, but they really had an athletic background. They were athletes. They yeah. played football, things like that. But they were, they were also very down to earth, and that will get to me every time because they talked yeah. about how they had been on, it was either um, American Bandstand, it might have been American Bandstand, or the... Uh, Oh, what's the one in England? Uh, that oh, pop, Top of the Pop. Uh, top of the Pop. Yeah. yeah. And then they went into buy groceries, and they had no money. They had to use food stamps. And the, oh. the cashier recognized them and said, oh, I saw you on TV. <laughs> and they, it's, yeah. you know, after humiliation like that, well, you know, whatever. But, and so that's the sort of stuff that I really liked. They didn't, they were okay with talking about that. And I really, I really did yeah. like that. I want to tell everyone this is Ron and Russell Mail, M-A-E-L, that we're talking about yeah. who compose Sparks. And this is um, a documentary on Netflix that you need to, you really need to see because it has, it talks about, and people, you may not understand the magnitude of this, but they're, they did the music for, or they were actually in a film that is considered the, okay, get ready for it, Citizen Kane of Disaster Movies. I'm quoting <laughs> from the documentary called Roller Coaster. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> that place but the movie theater had... I worked at, by the way, before I even knew, that was the same year. It was like a couple weeks later, a friend of mine said, because I was a big fan of Queen and ELO, and we used to go listen Why? to music after school at his house. And he's like, you got to hear Sparks. And then I put it together. Oh, that's that crazy band that was in a roller coaster, smashing the, you know, the piano stool and all of that. And I, so that was my very first exposure. And I worked in the theater where that movie showed at the Bruin. So that was really kind of funny. Um, so, yeah. Funny. Yeah. The, well, I, I don't think anyone... disaster movies, indeed. <laughs> I love that quote. I, I jotted that down real quick. It's like, that, yeah. is just, that is just the perfect description. I have, I don't think anyone has untouched kind of across the board having to do with music. Richard Branson, they sent things to Virgin Records. But I now yeah. have Sparks in my, thanks to you, Peter, Mr. Peter Conango. Uh, yes, I love their music. I have number yeah. one song in heaven, which is, it, it, it's absolutely beautiful. It is a beautiful yeah. song. But then I have La Dolce Vida as well. So yeah. that's, that's and, and then I have more because I'm now a huge fan. And, and I you've love got to read the lyrics, Pam. If you, if you, if I don't know if you, that's the problem with, I guess if they're downloads, you can't get lyrics, but there is a site where you can dig up the lyrics. Yeah. And I always do that, it, Peter. What I recommend is just when you're sitting back listening to the song, because sometimes Russell sings so quickly, or it's, or it sounds like he's singing in French sometimes. You can't even tell, you know, that it's English because he's squeezing in so many words to get in the That's Ronnie's true. lyrics that you can't capture all of it. But there, the lyrics on that Number One in Heaven album are just beyond genius. There's a song called Tryouts for the Human Race, which is about a sperm cell trying to break through. You know, we are a quarter billion strong, and he's doing his best to get through there so he doesn't vanish like dew. Um, <laughs> There's uh, 
my other voice, which is like a machine taking over somebody's mind, number one song in heaven, you know, uh, this is a song, why am I hearing it now, you ask? You know, in other words, you're just, you just died, and you're like, why, <laughs> why am I hearing yeah. this song, you know? Gabriel plays it, God, how he plays it. I mean, there's just so many hidden gems that are in that album, and lyrically speaking especially, uh, I can't recommend it enough. It, it, it's the album that really changed my life musically. I was a, an old British, I still am, I love British bands from the 70s. Yeah. Uh, Sweet, ELO, ELO I still love. Um, I just, the production on, you know, that Jeff Lynne did and the fact that the Beatles finally came to Jeff Lynne and said, hey, we dig you, when everybody accused ELO of being a Beatles ripoff, you know. Um, yeah, those bands had a great sound, but Sparks is yeah. what brought me into the new wave sound and bands like Devo and B-52s. And you can hear in all of those bands the same kind of influence that Sparks had. And Sparks were, were releasing new wave sounding albums in the mid 70s before yeah. they went electronic. Bands like Blondie sounded a lot like Sparks, uh, The Cars, um, Talking Heads, and even their image is very much similar to Ron's, you know, the skinny guy with the skinny mustache on the keyboards and, and Russell That's with the true. fluffy hair. Their image was just so iconic and, and so brilliant. Um, so, yeah, um, I just adore them. And, and every, you know, the, the good thing about them is the more you delve into them, the more you love them, you know, because you yeah. read the lyrics and then you're like, oh, my God, this is so genius. It's not even funny. It's just it's it's. It, it's profound and then their live show is so great you know they just they are the ultimate band in so many ways so there you go i'm if <laughs> you get me started about really, sparks. <laughs> well no i'm i'm right there with you and i, I will wrap up on sparks with this because i thought boy you know this song and where we are kind of in the world right now i thought mm. i really kind of like this I like these lyrics, and it is, if you don't like us, we don't like you. It's like, um, that's pretty cool. <laughs> that's mm -hmm. a pretty cool song. I like that. Okay, now, awesome. uh, we are going to circle back to talk a little bit about travel, but we have to talk about your mom, yeah. uh, Rosalie Calvert. Now, your dad, we won't talk about your dad today. That's we. There's just, uh, he has... Uh, <laughs> Such yeah. a, a, a presence uh, as an actor, but your mother, uh, your mother really started working early on and just continued to work through as a model and an actress. Now, let me tell you she something. She didn't have a choice. She was. She wanted to quit, but she had to support three kids because my dad wasn't doing the job. So my mom, you know, she in the 60s, she she was done, you know, and, and most models, they have, you know, five, 10 year work span right. and they're too old. But my mom, you know, looked great, you know, and she worked through the mid 70s supporting us. And, um, you know, she was doing fashion shows and photo shoots and stuff. And uh, growing up as a kid, I didn't know. I thought everybody's mom was you know in the newspaper you know we'd open up the paper and there'd be an ad for may company and there's my mom you know in a full page spread and i'm just i'm like oh there's mom again cool you know and i'm like oh you know at school i'm like did your mom get in the paper today you know <laughs> i had no idea i wasn't trying to be pretentious i just really thought you know every, that that's how every kid was you know yeah that um, was you that was your life that was normal yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. For, um, you know. She, uh, well, uh, I am a huge fashion person. I love clothes. Wow. I love all of that scene. And um, one thing that I did, I, I loved, I have watched, and I was telling our son about this, I said, about the, that I was going to do this podcast and I said and his mom was in uh, If a Man Answers and I said mm-hmm. I have watched that so many times I said over and I own I actually own the movie and oh my God. I said and wow. his, his mother is one of the models in the studio with Bobby Darren he said mom You've made me watch that movie. <laughs> so he said, I've seen his mother in the movie too. So today I went back, Peter, uh-huh. to the movie and I did screenshots. I did about five or six. Oh my God. Right. I did. I want to yeah. know, and you may not know the answer, but I, I, I want you to please find out the answer for me. Sure. In the studio where, where, um, Sandra Dee is receiving, this is, uh, everyone, this is a movie from the 60s with Bobby Darren and Sandra Dee and some other great people like John Lund, for example, and Cesar Romero, but, yeah. and Rosalie Calvert, Peter's mom, <laughs> but it's in the studio and she's receiving flowers and all the models gather around and they're on, you know, he's photographing them and stuff. I'm guessing that your mom, now she could have been wearing a wig. I, I get that, but there's a, just a stunning, she sticks out. She's the only blonde in the group and she's kind of standing in the far left of the screen in a black and kind of black and white top ensemble skirts black. And I'm thinking that's your mom. Do you know if it is? Yeah, that is my mom on the left. I'm, I'm pretty sure that's, that's okay. Yeah, in I haven't black, seen it in a it, while, but I yeah. But she's got the big. I don't know if she's wearing a fall because my mom had really great thick hair and, and it might have been her real hair pulled back up because it. I bet it was. I, yeah. I bet it was her. Yeah, because yeah. I went. That's got to be Peter's. That was an unfair question to ask you without seeing the movie recently. But anyway, <laughs> your mom, your mother worked with some of the greats. I mean, yeah. she was in a movie called Made in Paris in 1966 yeah. with Anne Margaret and Louise Jordan, and the costumes for that were done by the very famous Helen Rose. Yeah. And. Yeah. 42 minutes into that movie is the fashion show where yeah. all of these great Helen Rose uh, creations are. And and um, your mom is, is in that movie. And they, yeah. they, they, the way they describe that film is it was kind of the Doris Day kind of film with San Margaret and the... Uh, silly film, uh, yeah. Very silly, but, the, but, but it looks great. Yeah. So, uh, but she also worked with with some great with a great photographer, uh, John yes. Ingstead. Yes. Was uh, his photographs, or actually, you can see them at the Columbia Museum of Art. That uh, just and 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 a very famous uh, designer that everyone will know, Jimmy Galanos. Galanos uh, was also yes. Galanos. Thank you. Yep. Uh, and but her agent was Eileen Ford, and I loved one of your mom's quotes about Eileen Ford when um, she was there was a fashion show, and um, and um, she was she was working on stuff. And anyway, she was ta- talking up your mom to someone a little bit, but not a lot. Just, it was just like go to X paper or whatever. 
and and just look at it. Just look at her. She's there. Just go look at her because she thought you so much of your mom. And then she would hang up on them. And your mom said that Eileen Ford loved. She was a formidable woman, uh, everyone, but that she loved to hang up on people. I, I yeah, just well, loved that quote. She was an agent. She was quick, and she was, like, right to the point, you know, in a New York minute. And so, yeah, she told you what you needed to know, and then click. She's done. She's on <laughs> yeah. to the next call. And, and that was just normal for her. I mean, we were Californians, so we didn't get that so much because, you know, everybody's overly polite, you know. But, but yeah. that's the way Eileen Ford worked, yeah. <laughs> And, well, yeah, and then so, she worked with the incomparable Edith Head, yes. and she, your mom, yep. modeled costumes uh, that yes. would be worn by Lucille Ball, Carol Lombard. Carol uh, Lombard. Garba. She wore Carol Lombard, and she wore Mae West for Edith Head. You know, Edith oh, Head didn't wow. necessarily design those particular costumes because she came slightly later, but Edith Head owned a huge collection of costumes from Paramount and from various other studios. And she, oh, took, okay. she took them on tour because I think the Lombard costume my mom wore might have been um, Adrian or, or one of the ones that came before okay. Edith had. And okay. John Ingstead was like, I am crazy. Carol Lombard is to me the greatest of all the Hollywood movie stars. She was mm-hmm. gorgeous and her comedy timing was the greatest of all. And even Lucille Ball, you know, says yeah. she used to follow Carol Lombard around the Paramount lot and study her and learned from Lombard. And you can see in movies like My Man Godfrey, which is my favorite yeah. movie of all time. I love that movie. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. It's got such a lesson to it in life. And it it's does. so funny. Yeah. And it's so glamorous, mm-hmm. too. I mean, it's an incredibly yeah. beautiful movie to look at. And it is. Lombard... Um, when when Lombard died in a plane crash, uh, Lucy says she was haunted by her ghost. They had become good friends, and um, it was Lombard when Lucy was, you know, debating what to do with her career, and she was standing on the bluffs overlooking Santa Monica, and somebody, had, you know, had suggested she do a TV show, and she's like, "Well, my God, that you know, if you're a movie star and you do a TV show, that is the end of your career. I mean, that's yeah. the way it used to be." And the voice, right. she heard Lombard's voice say, go for it. And so she decided to do I Love Lucy, you know. And I never knew that. The, the Lucy character is based on, you know, Irene from uh, uh, My Man Godfrey, the silly, you know, kind of screwball but beautiful woman, you know. So, but the thing about Lombard is I was crazy for Lombard. Uh, all the people I loved, you know, would talk about Carol Lombard day and night, and I would go to parties, and big, big, famous, wonderful people that I got to meet through my mom were always talking about Lombard. Mel Brooks and Anne Bancroft among them. Uh, my mom's best friend, Lydia, who was in the Maiden Paris, she's the one on the fashion show, in the fashion show. She does a very funny scene in the fashion show. I think she's walking a dog or something. And she's outrageous. Anyway, she lived down the street from us when we lived in Hollywood, and she would invite us to her uh, Thanksgiving and Easter and Christmas dinners. And her friends, her husband was the biggest attorney in Hollywood, Bert Fields. And so they were either good friends or the clients. And so I would go to these Thanksgiving dinners, and we were literally, you know, going out and trying to find a, you know, a, a new shirt to wear, you know, so that I could go to these. I mean, we had no money, but which is so funny because we, we lived in Hollywood Hills and were surrounded by these incredible people. And Mel Brooks and Anne Bancroft, Anne Bancroft was Lydia's best friend. And 
both Mel Brooks and Anne Bancroft were Bert's clients. So they were at every meal and they were wonderful, lovely, lovely people. Well, they never stopped talking about Carol Lombard and Greta Garbo, who are my two favorites and who both are very much, my mom emulates both of them in quite a way. My mom has Garbo's bone structure and eyes. Yeah, she and sure does. looks a lot like Lombard too. John Ingstead's best friend in the 30s, the photographer from Paramount, who later went on to be the movie star photographer, was Carol Lombard. So he would like my mom to look like Lombard. And so I just had this Lombard thing going on. And then, you know, to have my mom, you know, be sort of a part of that was, to me, really cool. So uh, I love Carol Lombard. And, yeah, my mom, she had the most incredible people telling me, you know, uh, we we went to dinner at Loretta Young's. Loretta Young was married to um, Jean-Louis, who was the fashion designer. That right, of course. Mom was his top model. So Loretta Young knew my mom through modeling and kept saying to my mom, she's the most beautiful person I've ever seen. So when you've got Loretta Young telling you, you know, that your mom is the most beautiful woman in the world, it's, you know, pretty pretty impressive. (laughs) That's very impressive. As a matter of fact, there was a a fashion show, a Jean-Louis fashion show, I believe, where uh, Dietrich was your mother's dresser. And your mom was kind of like, will she know what to do? Because Dietrich was friends with Jean-Louis. And will she know what to do? Because it's quick and it's fast you have to be ready to jump into the outfits and she said she was and she was great i'm quoting your mom and uh and but then at the end of it uh uh, marlene dietrich says to your mother you're beautiful just like me and i (laughs) I thought (laughs) what a great what a great compliment you know really it was tremendous i thought that was such a great story yeah but oh to be so generous yeah you're you're so beautiful you look just like me you know well (laughs) yeah i mean because that would be intimidating i think to have someone famous like that being your dresser wow (laughs) yeah and especially because Dietrich had a little bit of a reputation. I don't know if you know, but she she was known, you know, for her, you know, her she she liked both men and women. So my mom was a little nervous, you know, at, yeah. at that point too. But I mean, there was nothing like that. Dietrich was very very professional and very kind. And yeah, she was just a fan of Jean Louis. And I guess they were. I think they were in Vegas for that show because uh, Dietrich oh, okay. had her one woman show also at the time. So she popped over and. And wanted to help out with, uh, you know, with the show, which is pretty funny. <laughs> Your mother uh, modeled, uh, and remind me what this is. There's a photo of your mom in a like a leopard coat, or it's some, isn't it? Some kind of an animal print. I want to say um, I saw a photo uh, of of your mom. It's absolutely the photograph is art. It is so gorgeous. And I want yeah. to say it's a it's an animal print, but the photo itself it's just stunning. I mean, your mom it, it just takes your breath away. Her beauty just absolutely yeah. takes your breath away. She's so so gorgeous. No, I'm and, really proud of her. She she really and you know it, it, she wasn't just beautiful. I mean, and still is. You know, she's 95. Um, but she was an incredible mother. She she couldn't have been more loving and giving and kind. And I am so grateful to her for that. Mm-hmm. And she encouraged yeah. me 
every step of the way in my life, no matter what I chose, you know, I wanted to go in the music business or I, I was interested in ships or whatever it was, she was there, you know, backing me up 100%. And, you know, I just got really lucky in the mom department, you know, plus having, you know, all these great stories to be able to tell about her. Yeah. Now, let me ask you this. I'm going to put you on the spot. And you can wipe sure. me off if you want. Um, <laughs> what does your mom, if you can speak for her as for since she's downstairs, um, mm-hmm. Think about today's fashion and oh. what's going on in all of that. Now, does she ever weigh in on that? Oh, yeah. Oh, she hates it, you know. Oh, good. Um, yeah, I can her, see that. Yeah, in her era, it was about elegance and glamour. Right. And yeah. what you suggested, you know, a look in your eye would be sexy. Mm-hmm. How you posed you know, but you're not, your, your boobs aren't hanging out and they're not yeah. fake boobs, you know, full of silicone yeah. and you don't have a big butt, you know, and all of the mm-hmm. things that are in vogue today um, right. would have been considered vulgar back in yeah. her era. Now, I mean, right. times change and, and you have to appreciate that. And she did, you know, she morphed through quite a few eras between the late 40s and the 1960s. You know, I mean, the 60s yeah. was a whole different look and my mom did that really well with the mini skirts and the mm-hmm. you know the the polka dots and all of you know that whole thing which was which was different but even then there was a certain degree of glamour and and class um then and i'm not old-fashioned in in, in that particular way i i'm pretty you know open-minded about just about everything especially when it comes sure. to art but i look at you know, like these real housewives with the lips that are like five times larger than normal and, you know, <laughs> too much makeup and mm-hmm. all the the stuff that people are injecting in their faces and it's changing their look. You know, they don't yeah. look normal. They look yeah. like they're blown up or they've been stung by a bee and they have an allergy mm-hmm. or something. It just, it yeah. it doesn't look natural. I don't see how it can be attractive to people or or why people want to emulate it so it is a little puzzling to me i mean i find Mm -hmm. it interesting in sort of a a social way but i don't understand it myself and my mom is you know appalled by it you know even people like back in her day even people that are you know considered great beauties even like sophia loren you know, she, her, she had these big boobs and it was considered kind of, you know, she would wear these low cut tops and, and people just thought, well, it was kind of tacky, but she was doing it yeah. to get attention and, and what yeah. have you, you know, and I adore Sophia Loren, don't get me wrong. I think she's an incredible beauty and a great actor, yeah. uh, but that was considered a bit outre for that era. So mm-hmm. yeah, my mom, absolutely, you know, I speak fe- freely for her. She's appalled by most modern day fashion. Because every single photo that I've seen of your mother, and I realize these are, you know, she's working, these are, it's her job, but she is the personification of elegance and class. It is just, and I miss that, you know, I I do, I miss, I miss, I wish there were more of that. but anyway, thank you for talking about your mom. Now, I want to sure. wrap up. Now, you have to come back and talk about travel. But I yep. do want to talk about your YouTube channel and oh. some things like that because people yeah. can find you, Peter, 
everywhere. Because, and the thing about your YouTube channel that I want to tell people, you take people with you and you will show a little bit of everything. You show the food, you show locations, you show mm-hmm. little animals. If you're in the Galapagos, you just like you mm-hmm. show little, you know, habitats. So you really do take people with you in that way where they can travel right along with you. And, and that's a, that's a really nice gift that you have. Well, thank you. And I really, I love making these videos. It's so you know, I've been shooting videos since 1992, and I, everybody, you know, and I was also taking still photos, of course. I used to carry three cameras, one for photos, one for slides, and one for video, and then all the lenses in there. I mean, it was like a 50-pound camera bag that oh, I had yeah, to drag around sure. back then. And now you can do everything on your iPhone. It's just so cool, and you don't it have is. to carry all that junk and go through airports right. and, and security and film developing and all of that stuff. But I've been, I started shooting video in the early 90s, even though it's not the highest quality video. I just was wondering why more people weren't videotaping their vacations and their ships. And, and, and I, I knew that when the ships were gone, there would be plenty of photos, but there wasn't any video. So I make these videos. I do several different types of videos on my YouTube channel. Some I do tours of of ships that no longer exist, like a top to bottom and a history of, say, the SS Constitution, which was the ship that was featured in An Affair to Remember, and uh, Grace Kelly took it over for her wedding party to Monaco, a beautiful old transatlantic liner. Um, And it sailed in Hawaii in its last year. So I, I made a video about cruising the Hawaiian Islands on this beautiful old ocean liner and then I did the ship's history, ships, and um, I, I prefer, you know, as you probably know, I like the older ships and I like the smaller ships for the most part. Yeah. I'm not a huge right. fan of 5,000 passenger cruise ships and mm-hmm. water slides and things. That, you know, I like right. to be at sea, yeah. not to pretend I'm not at sea. Um, yeah. But I make pretty much videos about all ships, you know, big ones, small ones, everything in between, the travel log itself, ships that no longer exist. And there's also videos um, that I've shot on the beach, you know, at the scrapyard in Alang. And um, that's kind of interesting to see these ships being, you know, cut apart for scrap in, in the middle of, you know, the Indian subcontinent. It's, that's quite a story unto itself. So, so they're all there. In the, yeah, and it's Peter Canego's Midship Cinema. Uh, Midship Century is my website where I sell the artifacts from ships. And I changed the name it used to be midship uh, century video channel and then i changed it to midship cinema so if you do a google, a google search you can find it and uh, i hope i hope you enjoy it if anybody cares to watch i recommend uh, a road to a lang which is kind of a nod to a movie that your dad did which we'll talk about in the future yes. on a future podcast but that's a, <laughs> that's a good one Peter yeah. is a historian, uh, so he. I consider you a rescuer of uh, of artifacts, and spent many years doing that. So it, it's it's very deep. This uh, all of this that you do, the, the the history and the documentation and the and the saving of things that will never be again in a in a cruise line on a cruise ship. Um, hmm. And if you're fortunate enough, you possibly could buy some of them on one of on his uh, website but do <laughs> l- look at his um, 
at his videos of not only his travels, but how he also goes in and, and records, and he is a historian. So it's you are a man of many, many talents and interest. And, and well, you're very kind. There. I've been, you know, I'm a little strange. I get obsessed about the things that I like. Um, but <laughs> fortunately, I, I figure out a creative way, you know, in my best ability anyway, to sort of express my uh, obsessions. So, um, and it's a pleasure to be able to speak about them with you, Pam. Thank you. Well, I really appreciate it, Peter, so very much. And I do want to tell everyone, we will have several links because for the podcast there will also be a page everyone you can see what peter looks like and by the way you looked really nice in the in the uh in the documentary i liked your look oh. you looked it was oh. black and white and you i you were just so articulate and oh. i really liked your hair looked you know you looked really good well, uh so look for kind. him no, it's just the truth. It's, I tell Gary that. So, Peter looks so good in the documentary. Uh, but there will be links to all things, all sorts of things for Peter when we're all said and done with the, the podcast. So you you right. won't have to look too far to find uh, to find information on this fascinating man. Peter Canego, thank you so, so much. It's been my honor, my true honor to have you as my podcast guest. Oh, my gosh. Well, I'm going to be walking on cloud nine after this conversation for the next, <laughs> you know, several weeks, Pam. Thank you so much. It's really been a pleasure. Oh, my pleasure. Please go and tell your mother how much. Uh, and like I said, I have those screenshots in my phone of her in If a Man Answers and had little did I know I was watching your mother all those all those many times in that film. That's so funny. Okay. I definitely will and we'll both be listening to the podcast when it comes out. I, I it'll be fun for her to hear us talking Thank about you. her. Okay. Thank you so much. Okay, everyone, you know what to do. These podcasts are always available on NorthPalmBeachLife.com, as always, as well as Spotify, iTunes, Amazon, and many, many other platforms. Too many to name. I don't want to bore you with all of those platforms. We're out there if you want us to be or not. Our YouTube channel as well. Go. We know you do. And check us out. Check our videos there as well. You can find Gary on All Things Cruise, where he writes about travel just type in his name, G-E-R-R-Y, yes, but it's pronounced Gary Barker. Go find him. My book's on Amazon. Go find them. You know what to do, Pamela Barker. If you can't find them, let me know. I'll help you. I'm not curing any of the ills of the world. They're just fun characters I would like to hang out with. It's my book, so I can create them any way I want to. So get them, read them, and let's talk about them. Thank you so much for being with me today with Peter Canego at Gigi in the 561. I'm Pam Barker. This is my podcast. Stay with me.